Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. And joining me, Mel McIsaac, our co-host, Mel, great to see you. You're looking great as ever. And we appreciate you being with us. Oh, man. When I gave you that $20 to say how good I looked, I didn't really think it was going to get me that much mileage. (laughs) Oh, man. That's so great. Listen, here's the deal. I know that you and my wife have very similar personalities. You guys go way back. And uh, you're an eight-wing seven. She's a seven-wing six. And that seven, uh, the congruency. We're here to party. You're there to party. And what I know about you guys is you're extremely spontaneous. And oh, yeah. for someone like me, who is a three, who likes to have everything calculated, planned out, um, I plan my spontaneity, you know? My oh, idea of spontaneity is like, just, hey, babe, let's, uh, Friday, let's be spontaneous. How's that sound? And she's you're like- You're hurting my heart right now, Davey. I Ouch. know, but I don't, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So I thought we would talk about, um, uh, because it ties into the topic of our conversation today a little bit. And so I thought we would talk about times where you were just spontaneous, I need you to teach me. I need you to teach me how to be spontaneous because this is one of my wife's love languages. I got to learn this. So be my inside scoop. Be my coach. Help me out with this. Okay. Well, the first thing, when it comes to spontaneity, you need to throw out thinking. (laughs) You you can't think about it. It just has to... Hold on. Let me think about that for a second. Yeah. No. I'm going to need to stop you right there. (laughs) Um, and you just gotta think, well, I guess you have to think what would be really fun to do. And then you just go do it. And you don't really let, you don't figure out the details you just kind of let that be future Davy's problem. Details are future Davy's problem. That terrifies me. Terrifies me. But that's where the adventure (laughs) comes in. And that's where it's so exciting. Um, okay. I have got to tell you when I was 16 years old, mom and dad, I'm sorry, you don't know this story. But I had a friend. <laughs> Wait, she was are your mom and dad listeners of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast? They are. And yes. they've been telling all their friends. They're loving it. Nice. It's been so fun. Love it. Thanks, yeah. mom and dad. Exactly. Thanks, Mark and Debbie Daly <laughs> and your great last name. Um, so, because last, you know, last time we were talking about how hard McIsaac is. So when I was 16 years old, I just got my driver's license and um, my best, we're still best friends. She was 15. We, uh, we were like, we're both incredibly spontaneous. And we're like, you know what would be really fun is if we just went to St. Louis for the weekend. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And so uh, I started Wait, thinking, that, I mean, that's my not pain- spontaneous. You live in St. Louis. So no, I'm talking about when I'm 16 <laughs> I know, years old. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, so I tell my parents, I was like, so mom and dad, I'm going to go with my friend to her family reunion in South Carolina. <clears throat> she told her mom that uh, she was just going to spend a couple nights at my house. We pack up my 1992, like we called it the tank because every day we did an off-road experience in it. And nice. we go to, um, we just drive out. We make, we, well, you know what we had to do because it was early 2000s is we burnt a CD. Oh, of course. Make a playlist. Because, Let's go. Yeah. Any spontaneous trip needs a good playlist Absolutely. for our jam sesh. In a second, so, I'm going to have you share what were some of the songs on that CD. Actually, oh, go yeah, ahead and I'm share sure it now. Like go ahead. Let's take a little Pink, time out. Vanessa Carlton. Let's go. Um, Wait, I Thousand mean, Miles? Hold on. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Come on. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it so was all your we, like girl power jams is what it was pretty much. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Enough said. That's all I mean. Um, Destiny's Child, yep. you know. Okay. So on our way, I'm a survivor is probably blaring. <laughs> um, and <sighs> we we thought we were being so, so responsible, you know, because we brought, we obviously couldn't rent a hotel. So we had sleeping bags and money for food. And we go to uh, the uh, arch and we had these little, we're sketching the arch and we're like, this is just so peaceful. And, and then, you know, I think we were planning on spending the weekend, but then we just came back because we were like, I don't think we really want to sleep in our van. So we just made a day trip. But I remember years later, my mom was like, I think she did find some pictures we took because we had the disposable cameras back in the day. She's like, where'd you get these uh, pictures of the arch? I'm like, oh yeah, I think it must've been when we went as a family. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. And they still didn't figure it out. They, I don't know if they ever knew, but I, (laughs) now that I have daughters, that whole story makes me want to cringe. Yeah. So I was going to say the, the application for me, as you are coaching me on how to be spontaneous is lie to my kids, um, leave the house randomly, pack everything up and um, make a Vanessa Carlton playlist for Christina to go do something fun. Yes. Or, or no, you guys could just oh. maybe, maybe spontaneity in 2019 for Davey, maybe you need to take baby steps and it's just not using Yelp to find out a date night restaurant. <gasps> just try it. Try a little. I actually went into a sushi restaurant last week. It was so sketched that I, and people had been saying it's so good. I sat in my car for five minutes, just affirming the reviews online because it looked so scary, but it was great. I just felt like the walls closed in when you said, don't use Yelp. Like I just, everything's like, it's getting dark and wow. Wow. See, you don't like, I plan everything out, like everything. And this was our dilemma when we were on the honeymoon because um, Christy is such an adventurer and you can probably, I imagine you and Charlie probably have the same dynamic. I am I'm like envisioning, you know, it's our honeymoon. We're getting away. Most of our, not most of our time, some of our time is going to be spent, you know, doing honeymoon things. But the rest of the time, I'm going to be like out by the pool. I'm going to be reading a book. I'm going to be relaxing and not thinking about or talking to anybody, right? I'm just like totally. So we get, we get settled in, kind of get our towels. I get about probably 15 minutes into my book and Christy's like, okay, what are we going to do? And I'm like, what do you, I'm going to do this. Like we're going to, I'm going to read for like eight hours straight. And she's like, no, we're going to go play volleyball right now. And then we're going to go build sandcastles. And then we're going to go explore on the, you know, we're going to prepare parasail and we're going to like stand up surf and, uh, or, you know, I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. We're going to like zip line through the, I'm like, wait, I can't, no, I just want to do this. And so we definitely were at odds with, I'm like, hold on, we need a plan. Let's. She was like, no, we're not planning anything, and it just. That is so. So funny. we're we're working through that dynamic. We're working mm-hmm. through. That. I figured out that if I adventure with her in the morning and wear her out, then she sleeps the whole time at the pool while that's, I can that's read. That's literally in the how afternoon. I view my children. It's like let's just wear them out till nap time or for bedtime. I didn't say it. You you said it. I didn't say it. That's what you said. 
<laughs> that is so funny. See, Davey, it stresses me out when people plan things. We went on a vacation with another family, and they wanted to plan out every restaurant, what we were going to do. It stressed me out so bad I left the group conversation. I was like, I want no part of this. Plan what you will. I will show up. Isn't that like when you someone leaves a group conversation, you don't really know what to think about, you know? about Like, wow, did they... It's like a door being slammed in your face. Yes, no, I was hoping that they would feel it. Like, sit in this. (laughs) (laughs) I am done. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, today is part two of our interview with Molly Thorson. In fact, this is a um, bonus episode. And we're diving into some of the uh, conversation that we've never talked about this before on the the podcast, but it's a really good conversation. And we bring in a special, speaking of my beautiful wife, a special co-host for the interview. And um, we get to hear a little bit about her story uh, and and just parts of it and some of the work that she Mm -hmm. did in human trafficking as well. And so I'm super excited about this. The reason we're talking about spontaneity in this whole thing is uh, you'll hear in a little bit, Christy's spontaneity, how it plays into how she wound up working um, to help prevent human trafficking. And so oh, I think there was okay. a a redemptive quality in the evils of her spontaneity. Okay. I'm just kidding. That's, that I shouldn't I was, say that. You know, that just... <laughs> 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 no, you can leave that in. We will leave that in because it is righteous and sacred to plan everything out. No, that that comes from a dark place, baby. It does. I probably should go back to that counseling place and talk about my my obsession to plan. Yeah, so Davey, let's talk about your need for control. Oh, <laughs> you went there. You went there. Wow. Well, um, on another topic, we're so grateful when you guys rate and review a podcast. It's awesome to hear your stories, and um, we'd encourage you to do that. We'd love for, to hear the reviews um, as you're writing those, so make sure you go and do that. Uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Um, there's usually some great behind-the-scenes stuff. There's some giveaways. We'll keep you up to date on the new things that are happening with Nothing Is Wasted. There is a lot going on. Like we, It's like crazy how, this, how stuff's just boom, 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 going, going on, and we... <laughs> We are going to do our best to keep you up to up to speed on that. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And if you have a story like Molly, she just wrote her story in and it right. was so amazing. We are so thankful for that. If you personally have a story, we would love to hear it. Yeah. So please share your story with us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. And we look forward to reading those. Yes. So yeah, I'm excited to hear Molly. Let's listen. Okay, we're back for part two with my interview with Molly Thorson, and we've welcomed another kind of co-host or interviewee on the interview, and uh, you may have heard of her. Her name is Christy Blackburn. Hey, guys. She's um, extremely gorgeous, oh, hot, word. amazing. All right. Thank you, Stop. Awesome. Keep Can on I going. hit on one of our interviewees? Is that okay? Can I do that for a second? As long as it's me and nobody else, <laughs> I will totally be okay with that. Um, well, I want to have a conversation because in our last um, interview with Molly, um, and if you haven't listened to it, you need to go back and listen to it. Incredible story of, of loss and turning 
um, tragedy into triumph and the, the work that you're doing, Molly, now and continuing to do. So the work that you did to really honor uh, your sister's legacy with the A21 um, walk and that campaign along with Christine Kane was so incredible. And you guys are continuing to do that and doing a lot of work now with human trafficking. And like you said in the last interview, you are like kind of the full-time volunteer over in the DC office of A21, <laughs> yeah. which is so great. We love full-time volunteers yeah. and nonprofits. We love them because you don't have to pay them. You get all kinds of work out of them. It's fantastic. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, I want to have a conversation about human trafficking because it's not one, something that we've talked about. We are going to have some more conversations about it in the future, um, but it's a, it is definitely a it is a, a major topic that is brought up, especially when you talk about this idea of pain and suffering, especially when you talk about some of the macro suffering that's going on in the world. And you, you ask those macro questions of like, well, how could a loving God exist if there's pain and suffering? Okay, mm-hmm. so how could a loving God exist if there's, um, you know, uh, boys and girls alike being sold into sex slavery and people being sold into, you know, labor slavery and like how in the world could God tolerate that? And we may or may not try to tackle some of that. I don't, well, maybe, maybe that can be my contribution to this. But what I want to do with you guys is I want to, I want to just have a conversation about human trafficking and bring some awareness based on the experience that you guys both have in that. Um, Molly, we've heard a little bit from you. Many people don't know, Christy, that you um, have spent some time working in prevention, prevention of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, um, why don't you share with us a little bit of your background on that, and then we'll kind of dive into the topic. Yeah, so to fully share about it, I'd probably have to go back to even just my mom being in the orphanage in Korea. So mm. um, my mom was two months old when her parents dropped her off, possibly just her mom dropped her off at an orphanage, the doorstep of an orphanage when she was two months old. And um, they actually didn't get a note or anything, didn't know um, anything, her birthday, her name, anything like that. And the person who started that orphanage was actually a guy named Joe Garman. Um, fast forward, um, I end up meeting Joe Garman at a national missionary convention and he introduced me to his daughter, Stephanie Freed Garman. Mm. And she actually founded, um, Rafa house, which is a safe house in Cambodia for, uh, girls that were in human trafficking. Mm. And so she just told me like, Hey, we definitely want to get you out here in some way. Um, and just, uh, help work, um, on like, just volunteering, teaching the kids English or teaching them a trade. And I was like, yeah, one day, one day. Um, just really never really thinking I would go because I was very passionate about Mexico um, and just orphanages there. So just thought, yeah, for sure. And so honestly, I never thought I would go. My um, missions pastor from my church at the time ended up calling me randomly and just said, hey, we actually have a spot we need to fill for someone to go to Cambodia for two months. We're paying for all of it. Would you be up for that? And as a seven, it's like, well, yes, <laughs> I would. Seven, yes, here you're going to pay for it and I can go. And travel, go travel. now, exactly. spontaneous, let's do it. But little did I know how much emotional mm. baggage and everything that would cause me because here you go and you walk up to a house full of about 90 girls ranging from the ages of six to 23. Uh, um, I remember the six-year-old, we actually gave them all... English names because they're they're Khmer. So in Cambodia, it's called Khmer. The language is Khmer. So their Khmer names actually were too hard for us to pronounce. So I remember this girl named Ashley, and um, she was just like she looked like a, a two to three year old um, American girl, and she was in she was a sex slave, mm-hmm. and they saved her from that. And I remember just getting really close with her. And at one point, some missionaries came, and um, 
there was a guy in one of the groups and she just ran up to me, wanted me to hold her. And as I held her, she would not spread her legs open and wrap around like most kids would. Mm. She kept them stick straight and she just wanted to be held and she was so afraid. And so just knowing the things that they went through, it just tugged on my heartstrings like no other. And so since then, I've really been passionate about spreading awareness of human trafficking. Mm. And so I came back and decided to work for a not-for-profit. They were called the Center for Global Impact. They're actually located on the south side of Indiana. And um, Indianapolis. Yeah, sorry. South side of Indianapolis. Way down there near Ooh. Louisville. Was it New Albany? Right there on the New other Albany's side. There. New Albany. Yeah. But no, not Evansville, not any of those places, uh, actually. South side of Indianapolis. Um, more so, actually, that they're now in Greenwood and Franklin, Indiana. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they have their location there. I worked, for their, uh, worked there for a bit. Still am involved in different ways and still volunteer in different ways. But um, that's basically where I got my start. Just yeah. In, involved in the prevention of human trafficking and spreading awareness. That's so cool. The um, first of all, it's super ironic that a girl named Stephanie Freed <laughs> founded a house. That yeah. I mean, that's such a cool thing. I love when that like. Oh yeah, and it's she like you were built for this. She's amazing. Yeah. Like her, she does not only just uh, give sacrifice um, just her time, but she actually actually sacrifices her own money. I remember we would go to the mm. markets looking for different things for uh, the girls that were working at the um, seamstress area and the, the factory. And she would always just swipe her husband's credit card and buy the stuff. And she was like, no money, no honey. So <laughs> she's just the funniest woman. And she just really has a heart uh, for these mm. kids. And so that's one organization I would say, if you, if you really have a heart for it, just to go and support them. Um, because they definitely are doing a huge thing there in Cambodia. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to tr- at some point have, hopefully have Stephanie on the, on the podcast. I know it's difficult with her being way over in Cambodia and you know, all of that. And we're trying to iron all that stuff out. And so Stephanie, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really want to just kind of open up this, this is going to be a little bit different in, in format. I really want to open this up to you guys as you guys are dialoguing about it. Cause before we went on air, you guys were like chit-chatting like crazy about <laughs> sex trafficking and the challenges of the prevention of, and really just across the board, human trafficking. But, um, you know, I'm like, well, let's talk about this a little bit and let's see if there's um, something that we can, you know, kind of pull out of this. But uh, what, what do you guys see as like, as you're working in that field, Molly, as Christy, as you've had experience in that, worked in that, what are some of the challenges that that, that industry is facing today and you know as you guys are seeing that like what what can we do to be a a part of that um like in terms of like you know you were working molly with raising awareness you've been working with raising awareness of that and i'm sure you guys are running up with all kinds of challenges and i'm sure it's a very just difficult process to to push the ball forward but um you know how would you shed some light on that i mean there is a long list of challenges um, when facing trying to combat human trafficking. Um, Obviously, one of the the most well-known ones is the stigma that comes with it. And um, I was talking with Christy beforehand, um, uh, just raising awareness and trying to eliminate the stigma and trying to bring the concept of modern-day slavery to people um, rather Mm -hmm. than just this act that's happening is um, is probably the most challenging part and it's what we've been working really heavily on um, trying to 
not define human trafficking, but yeah. just show people that it is a modern day form of slavery. Yeah. Well, when you say the stigma, tell me more about that. What, what kind of stigma surrounds this that you guys are finding? I'm, I think that any type of um, criminal act that has mm. any type of like sexual reference can definitely be um, seen as something just... Um, like preferred, yeah. uh, like a prostitution rather mm. than an actual criminal case. So kind of just showcasing that a lot of times these situations, people are manipulated into them. People are brought in yeah. from different areas and um, just showing that there's a falsehood that is surrounding human trafficking. And usually that falsehood is like a false job advertisement, um, a false boyfriend who mm. brings... Um, a woman back into um, prostitution, which is actually human trafficking. Right. So um, just kind of raising the public awareness of um, the different situations that can lead to human trafficking um, and that it's all just not so black and white. Uh, it, it can be very um, different for yeah. every single victim and survivor. Yeah. And that's a big thing with the stigma because it is actually domestically seen as more so prostitution rather than human trafficking and sex slavery. And so I remember um, about five years ago, I think it was about five, maybe it could be 10 years ago that one of my friends, I mean, <laughs> literally, I know, literally time just flies for me. So one of my friends I named Tracy so McDaniel, <laughs> she felt this um, need for social justice for these women. And so she was working at the Julian Center and just seeing these women come in and be seen as prostitutes rather than actually that they were sold into sex slavery. Mm. And so she started an organization called Restored here in Indianapolis because at that time, I don't know if things have changed. You could probably tell me more because you're in D.C., but at that time, the government only funded domestic uh, for international human trafficking. Mm. So if someone actually was flown into here illegally and brought into the States and was a sex slave, they had money and funds for them uh, just to even get get out of that and everything. But if someone domestically was taken as a sex slave, sold into that, and then they got saved from it, there was no money to fund them. So she created this organization called Restore to actually give funds for this. And she actually, I don't know to what extent now that she, what she's doing, but she, her, she had plans for a house um, and a farm and so that they could get away and go to that farm and get healing and restoration mm. there. That's um, cool. How much do you know about the, the legislation and the laws that have changed with that? Um, well, we're working on um, just helping be a part of bringing to light uh, the domestic uh, modern day slavery that's happening here. Mm. So um, that's kind of one of our goals that we've been with our DC team um, is being a part of that legislation and trying to get appropriations to help bring money to domestic um, rescue and domestic um, public awareness because... Yeah. That's ultimately our goal is to prevent it from happening so you don't have to do the rescue. That wouldn't be great. Right, so right. Um, being a part of that legislation and trying to get our leaders and our communities to recognize it too has been um, something we're working on. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot of times we don't, we think that most of the, the girls that are in there um, chose it. They chose that path. But a lot of times we're actually seeing them that they're either runaways, mm -hmm. uh, they're foster care kids. Um, 
actually there's an area in town here um, in, in Indiana that it's in the north side of Indianapolis called Carmel. So that's like a wealthy, wealthy area. So you would think the last person would come from Carmel. And there was a girl who actually came from Carmel and she fell in love with this guy. She thought that, she, you know, that he loved her and that um, they had a good relationship. And his goal was to get her to be sold into sex slavery and got her into that. And she just couldn't get out. And so the FBI ended up coming and saving her and getting her out of jail because she was seen as a prostitute. And that's not something she wanted to do. And so we have this idea of what these girls are and who they are. But in all reality, it could be anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it definitely, um, human trafficking doesn't know gender. It doesn't know race. It doesn't mm-hmm. know um, status. It applies to everyone. And I think that's a really important thing um, to bring to light is that it's happening in your backyard. It's happening in the town's over backyard. It's, it really is happening everywhere. Um, And that's why we've been working so fervently on getting this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk about that a little bit, like the, the broad application of human trafficking, because like what you just said, it's not just gender, race, you know, socioeconomic status. It's also not just sex trafficking. Yes. Like explain to me, like when you think about the umbrella of human trafficking, what is, what all is that entailing? That's, um, that's a loaded question. So that <laughs> yes, I found a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when looking at the basic, uh, forms of human trafficking, definitely, um, forced labor, mm. um, domestic servitude and, uh, sex trafficking are mm. probably what most people would recognize as the three major forms. So forced labor, meaning like, I mean, that sounds pretty self-explanatory. It's like they're kidnapped or sold into some kind of like slave labor, essentially. And you'll see this stuff kind of happen, even not just like labor on, you know, but also like, um, uh, like in military labor, right? Like fighting, you see some of the um, stuff that happens over in, you know, there are definitely child soldiers, right? Um, exactly. And that definitely is a huge aspect about like global human trafficking, right? Um, so when you say domestic, though, like or domestic, what did you call it? Domestic, domestic servitude. servitude. Yes. Explain that a little bit. So, um, like having someone come over, promising a job, taking away the papers, and saying, "Oh, you can work off this debt." Um, almost like indentured servitude. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. That's that concept is just, it's crazy to me that mm-hmm. like that is still existing. Yeah. And, um, the, well, I think, the, the biggest issue of it all though, is honestly, if we think about it, it's poverty. So yeah. these people, they will have five kids, six kids, and they're promised that if they s- sell one of their kids, they can feed the rest of their family for that year. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it, if you're all starving to death, what would you do? You would sell your kid, not and hoping for a great future for them. Some do know that they're going to be sold into what they're sold into, but not all do. And so they get sold, they get the papers for it, they get the contract. And in some, in most countries, it's actually honoring to work for your family to help mm. them. So it's an honor and it's shameful if you owe a debt. And so these girls or these guys that get sold into it, um, they when they're told, hey, you owe this debt to us, it's a contract work, they'll do it because they're like, oh, I have to pay it back and I have mm. to pay for my family. That's my honor. It'd be shameful to not do it. Now realizing what they got signed into and they didn't understand that. Yeah. And so they stay willfully because of that, that honor mm. and they don't want to be shamed. Wow. 
Yeah, so one other thing, um, especially in just, just systemic poverty, um, a big thing when we think about like Barbie factories and things like that. So when I was in Cambodia, they were talking about this Barbie factory where some of their friends worked. They got 50 cents for the day. And also outside of the factory, they put nets all around there because what people would do is they would get so just fed up with their lives, like feeling hopeless that they would jump from the windows to commit suicide. Oh my so gosh. they put the nets to prevent from people committing from, suicide for, wow. at their at their factory. Wow. Um, and so if you think about it that way, a lot of these people say that they're threading the Barbie's hair for 50 cents for the day wow. uh, or painting the Barbie's face for right. 50 cents for the day. And, and some, some of them need transportation. So they'll run a bike and it costs 50 cents. And so, like, are you really making any money for your family? Some make a dollar a day. Mm-hmm. And so now you just brought 50 cents home. And so it's just if you're promised $200, $300 to be like one of your kids are going to be sold, most of you would take it if your other kids actually get to eat. Yeah, yeah, man. Now, Molly, you have been um, a part of a lot of uh, like marketing to raise awareness for this or a part of, you know, at least A21 is doing a lot of stuff and you guys have been kind of... Um, a part of that over the office in DC. Explain to me about some of these campaigns that are coming out and what you guys are doing and how you guys have been trying to raise awareness about this. Yeah. And also I would like for you to even <laughs> explain the Super Bowl. Just that how yeah. how oh, big yeah. the Super Bowl is a marketed thing and yes. what you guys did to to prevent that and yeah. help with awareness with that. Right. Well A twenty one has done um really incredible public awareness campaigns um that have proven to be really, really effective. Yeah. Um and I think the biggest one right now is our Can You See Me campaign, uh, which is located in airports um, and any transportation hub across the world right now. Um, We have been working to try and get these into more domestic airports. Mm -hmm. And right now we're we're doing pretty well. You can find us in Dallas, Chicago. Uh, Dallas is Washington, D.C. Uh, And Chicago, LAX, Dallas, Houston, um, and many more. But yeah, the Can You See Me campaign is is pretty brilliant. It's it's highlighting different forms of trafficking mm. um, and showcasing what you might just pass by on a normal day right. and saying, can you see this? Now can you see this? So mm. um, the campaigns are really short little 30-second clips or we have like a, a minute and 30-second mm. clips and it's just highlighting different um, different scenarios of trafficking that you might not have realized in normal life and kind of showcasing the different ways that people are being trafficked and bringing that to light to Mm. help prevent it. And what I love so much about the campaign is it's not only a public awareness campaign, but it has the, um, our hotline number that you can text at the bottom. So it's helping victims, um, who may, I mean, the whole, Act right. of human trafficking right. involves transportation. You're transporting victims. Right. So if you can target these transportation hubs and if these victims see these numbers in these transportation hubs, yeah. you can potentially stop this from happening. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really tackling the issue head on um, as far as public awareness and victim mm. rescue and it's doing a great job. Um, it's a penalty campaign was another um, brilliant campaign. Um, the Super Bowl is a the largest trafficking event, sports event in, th- wow. in the nation. Well, and what's the reason for that? Just because there's so many people that converge into one city yeah. usually? Or? Yes. And um, 
Yes. Okay. There's tons of people so coming in. I remember in. when we had it here in Indianapolis, it was like, holy cow, like so many people yeah. um, that, that had converged here. You know, yeah. people and were renting out their homes for crazy amounts yeah. just to let, you know, because there was a, a lack of places to stay in yeah. Indianapolis, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, any city fights to get the Super Bowl in their city right. because they know how much Major tourism it brings in. Yeah, for sure. And with that, you also get kind of the black market tourism yeah. as right. well, which is gambling. Um, and unfortunately, um, prostitution is yeah. is a major part of that. And for the majority of these situations, a lot of that is human trafficking. Mm. So um, tackling the Super Bowl... <laughs> Oh, oh I see what you, you did there. You. Come on, I see what you thank did you. there. <laughs> uh, it is a really um, important step yeah. into kind of eliminating this tourism of human trafficking. And, right. and they, they really do go hand in hand. And um, so it's a penalty. The campaign was um, run in the airplanes on the way to Atlanta this year. Oh, so wow. if you were taking... Um, American Airlines, um, Virgin, pretty much all the major mm -hmm. airlines were showcasing this video beforehand. And you also saw it all around. Um, one thing we did, though, um, we A21 did, <laughs> is uh, they targeted the local hotels um, yeah. and they assisted in training all of the employees at the hotels Within the first day of Thursday that they trained, they have rescued four children just by handing out the missing children's list what? to local employees. And the employees of the hotels recognized the missing faces from the papers and they were able to rescue four children That's right, right there. Wow. Um, I mean, it's, wow. it's sad how simple it is to yeah. get the word out and... That's the the part that is so frustrating sometimes right. when you're when you're battling for this. You see how simply this could be eliminated, right. and um, you're just fighting for people to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. So, besides the Super Bowl, though, I mean, what are like some of the very common places that human tra trafficking exists? We were on the same wavelength. <laughs> we're in sync, we baby. Go. We're in sync. <laughs> um, I mean. There are lots of different ways. I mean, I would look at, like you said, factories, um, mm. lots of different factories. But um, a common thing is a massage parlor. Mm -hmm. mm. I know that's been in the news a lot recently. But um, any place where you get really cheap labor that is kind of confined into one spot mm. um, could could be a hotbed for human trafficking. Um, and there are just so many different forms of human trafficking that they're kind of represented different ways. So yeah. it depends on what form of human trafficking yeah, is know, happening. Yeah, I know. I was going to ask, you know, based on this, like, can you see me campaign? Like, what are some of those things that the campaign was trying to bring to light of like, like, what should, what would we be looking for? Yeah. You know what I mean? To go, to recognize, oh, wait, that, okay, hold on. That's a sign that that could yeah. be human trafficking, you know? Yeah. So um, the one that we're playing in DC, we have different ones for different locations right. because they're culturally different in exactly. different cities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so this would be a teacher looking at a student um, who was okay. making very good grades in school. 
um, and then suddenly just kind of has a turn in attitude, isn't volunteering um, to answer questions as much. And she's like, this seems odd. She notices a branded tattoo on her neck that she's like, this is like different. Mm. And it kind of isn't like your normal teenage tattoo. It looks like something like a branding. Um, And she recognizes all of this and sees that after school, she's getting in the car with some older man that clearly isn't her father Mm. um, and just different little signs. And um, while they're showcasing all these things that the teacher is noticing, they're showing you the behind the scenes of what is happening. Um, And ultimately a shift in attitude in that child too. Um, Like she's not smiling. She's not happy. Um, So that scenario specifically um, that's, highlighting the lover boy scenario where mm. they're believing that this guy is her boyfriend. Gotcha. Um, so that's one thing. Um, mm. There are different ones. Labor trafficking is just noticing um, kind of people's demeanor when they're participating in labor. Um, if they're like really hesitant and kind of um, almost nervous yeah. to be around people, um, that's, that's highlighted in the trafficking for the labor. And, um, gotcha. I want to show you guys these. I think I everyone know, should go I, watch I, them. I and know, you can know seriously. what I'm talking about, but, um, yeah, there are just so many different little mannerisms that, um, you just kind of have to say something if you see something. So anything that right. kind of just feels off, you might be right. You might be wrong, but right. if you're right, you could save a life. And if you're wrong, mm-hmm. you just call a wrong number. So, yep. Wow. So that's what the the what the call to action is saying, like, hey, call this number and yes. you know, and we'll be able to like try to help and intervene in the situation. Yes. Gotcha. Wow. You know, this is a this is a major diff I mean, it's a it's a very difficult issue because you know, as someone who thinks in that like theological world and wrestles through these questions and even feels this responsibility to try to help people understand this like infinite God that we can't understand. Um, you know, I, again, I, I ask those questions like, well, how could this be happening? Just like any major, you know, like, like genocide or, you know, how could this be happening in there and, and a loving God being um, at the helm of, of this world. Um, but I think there's a lot of redemption that can also kind of come out of this stuff um, where do you guys see um, maybe God's redemptive story intersecting some of this? You know? I can totally relate to that because, again, stepping foot into that house and hearing all the stories, um, I mean, if we're just going to be real, some of the things that the girls would have to go and get surgery, anus surgery, because um, mm. things would be stuck up there that shouldn't be there. They would have to, um, a lot of them had STDs. A lot of them would scream in the middle of the night because they would have recurring nightmares of their perpetrators. Mm -hmm. Um, And here I am, I remember one night, and most of these girls had lice. Evidently, that's what everyone said. So just be careful. That's that's what they kept on saying. Be careful when you hold them or hug them or anything. And that was the one thing I did not want to not do. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to be that for them in any way that they needed. And so I was, it was a hot night. It's over a hundred degrees every day there in Cambodia. And um, just sat and hugged one girl and was just singing to her. And I'm just crying knowing her story, just and angry at God at that moment that how this beautiful child, would you let her mm-hmm. suffer to this extent? And um, 
I had to wrestle with that a lot. And the leaders there actually told us that uh, we need to start to pray for the perpetrators, mm. the men that raped these women. We had to, pr- not even women, girls, mm. little girls, yeah. that we had to pray for them. And I remember just being like, why? Like, why? Because even when I was there in Cambodia, I would see grown white men, old white men holding the hand of a little child walking down the street. And I would want to scream at him mm. and just scream rapist, honestly. And I remember how I used to have to fight that back and, and just and I kept on questioning God, like, why? Like, why would you allow this? Why would you allow the suffering in this girl's life? And also there, especially, it was explained that the moment that these girls were either raped or sold, they would never get married again. And the reason was because mm. that they considered that women were rags And so the moment you threw a rag in the dirt, you could never clean it up fully again. It could never be fully whole and pure and valuable. But if, and the men were um, gold bricks. Mm. So if you threw a gold brick in the dirt, you would just wipe it up really quickly and it still held its value. Mm. And so here are these girls who had no choice. They were victims. They were raped repeatedly. And then now they will never, and hope there is actually you being married. So that's, that's the next step for you. And so as and a woman... And they're being told now that they are nothing but dirty rags and they, they will never have that hope. They will never amount to yeah. anything. So a lot of these girls, if they didn't learn a trade with this organization, they would go back and actually go back willingly to prostitution. So not wow. even to sex slavery anymore, to prostitution, because that's, that's what they know. Like some kind of a Stockholm syndrome type. Yes. Yeah. And Go, so yeah. it was infuriating. Like, how, how do you prevent this, Lord? And how can you, how can you redeem this? Like, this mm. is so too far gone that nobody could redeem this. Like, Lord, you couldn't even. And the b- most beautiful story that happened there while I was there was um, they pointed to this girl and said, look, do you see her? And I was like, yeah, she was pregnant. And, there, they, and she was married to one of the security officers at the safe house. And they said, she was a victim here. Mm. And I just started bawling. Like, here is a man who is a Khmer man from Cambodia. And he believes the exact same thing they believe, that once you're, once you're not a virgin anymore, you're, you're worthless. Mm. And he saw her value. Mm. And he loved her in spite of everything else that culture said about her. And I'm like, wow, Lord, in this culture-driven country that is so about their virginity and, the, and being pure and being whole. And that was, that he didn't see that. Yeah. He saw past that and he saw her as Christ saw her. And I just thought, wow, this, you can redeem this. Wow. this. There's nothing too far gone. Yeah. Well, I think like it, you asked that question. I mean, I asked the question, but we in general asked that question, how could a loving God exist if there's, you know, pain and suffering in the world? And it, the, the answer that's not the easy answer but it is the answer is that um, this breaks God's heart too. Mm-hmm. This breaks God's heart too. Like, and um, and then we start circling with questions like, well, if he's powerful enough, why doesn't he stop it? You know, and if he's not powerful enough, then why am I worshiping him? And if he is powerful enough, and he's not stopping it, you know, then he must not be loving. And, um, and it just begins this cyclical question of that stuff. And um, I think what, what we see is the a couple of things in the midst of all of this hatred and these broken people perpetuating broken acts on people and hurting people out of that and doing some of the most despicable, deplorable things. What we see in the midst of that is God demonstrating love. Um, I mean, one, God demonstrated his own love in this, that while we were yet sinners, every one of us, while we were living in this broken, fallen despicable, deplorable world. He wrapped himself in flesh, 
came to earth as a person of Jesus Christ, died on the cross. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, showing us this beautiful act of love that cuts through all of the hatred that, that perpetuates all of this stuff. But also one of the other greatest acts of love that God could have ever given us is this, this ability to choose. To choose. Yeah, free this will. Yeah. Free will to be able to choose to love him or not. And so if you think about it, what these men are doing to these girls is that they are not giving them the ability to choose. They are forcing themselves on these girls. They're taking advantage of them. And that's not, that's not love. And people ask the question, well, why doesn't God step in? And mm. here's why. Because by that definition, that's not love. Mm. And he, love is him using these situations right? And not necessarily intervening to prevent, but intervening to produce and produce redemption out of it. And love is this, this place where he has allowed the world to operate in such a way that we have the choice to choose him or not to choose him. And even when we don't choose him and, and when humankind chooses to do deplorable, despicable things, he still steps in and intervenes and demonstrates this perfect love that can restore all things, mm. you know? Is that enough? Can I preach that? Can, is that okay? <laughs> Keep like, on going. That Come right? on, Pastor. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's the only, the, there is no easy answer to this. That's the problem. That's the problem with pain is that we live in a broken, fallen world and what we need is a savior. Mm-hmm. And we get to be little, little Jesuses, you know, like we get to be the best demonstration of Jesus that we possibly can by rescuing and by bringing awareness and by, and ultimately Jesus will step in and rescue. Ultimately, he will be the one that has the final say and he'll be the one that says, nope, it's done. I'm ready. Okay. And the reason he's not yet is because he's patiently waiting for more people to come to know Christ. That's what the Bible says in, in uh, first or second Peter. I'm not sure which one, but it says that he, he is not slow to keep his promises as some think, but he is waiting and delaying so that all can come to know Christ. Everyone has this chance, including the perpetrators that you were mm-hmm. just talking about. And that right there, if I can get my head up above the muck <laughs> of all of the nastiness that has, is ha- that, and I put my eyes on that, on a savior that is that good, that even he would have patience um, with these men and women who are perpetrators and, and to think about the fact that he's had patience with me when I, not to that degree by any means, but when I inflict pain on someone else, mm-hmm. even inadvertently, um, that's how good God is. And so I think if we just, through all of this, if we, if we stay in the mindset, let's keep our eyes on Jesus and let's do everything we can to be the hands and feet of Jesus through this, then we can make a difference in, um, in, in preventing this or in, or in stopping this and rescuing folks out of this human trafficking. Yeah. And even just going along with that, Molly, what are some of the ways that people can be involved now? If they're, if they were really moved today and just hearing this, what are some of the things that they can do in action steps now? Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on the resources that you have. Um, If you have time, volunteering your time would be phenomenal. There's always a need for volunteers. Um, If you have money, there's (laughs) always a need for money and volunteering uh, or giving to these organizations Mm -hmm. like A21. Um, restore yeah, yes, the house. Yes. CGI yep. right. um, that definitely need funding mm-hmm. um, uh, prayer is always mm. needed um, and very 
well received. We right. need every prayer we can get. Right. Um, and every city, um, not well, the large cities mm-hmm. um, on October 19th, 2019, have a walk for freedom, which yeah. we get up and take action and we walk um, to gather public awareness about human trafficking. Um, And so you can participate in the Walk for Freedom. That's cool. And there's, uh, is there a website that people can find that? Yeah, I mean, if you go a21.org and you can see the different ways to get involved, um, one of them being Walk for Freedom. You can also look at those Can You See Me videos that are on there. Um, And one thing that is really simple that people kind of forget about is reaching out to your senator reaching out to your okay. Congress. Yep. Um, it's really simple to just call your senator and ask them to care about this. Yeah. And um, that's what I did like two years ago. I just called Senator uh, mm. Tim Kaine and I said, we need your help. We want this anti-trafficking campaign in our airport. And he said, we're on it. Okay. Wow. And we wow. got it into Dallas airport. And um, it, it kind of feels like the, it's, a faraway land yep. uh, politics and, but it, it's not, they all get elected by you. So you should demand that they mm. represent your values. Wow. Like That's that. awesome. Very cool. So, uh, October 19th. Yes. 2019. <laughs> yes. I expect everybody to be walking. <laughs> That's cool. 10, 19, 2019. I know. Yeah. Very cool. It'll be easy to remember. <laughs> yep. That'll be awesome. And we'll We're definitely participating put all, in that this year, babe. Oh yeah, for put, sure. Put it on our calendar. For Let's sure. Go. And even just on the webpage for this, uh, for this podcast, mm-hmm. we'll be putting all the links to everything we've said. Yeah. So that way you can just kind of see the different um, organizations and see if you want to get involved specifically with theirs. Yeah, that's great. And I'm sure we'll have more conversations about this um, as we go along. But um, but thank you guys so much for joining me on this and um, be will- being willing to have a conversation and of Molly course, being yeah. willing to stick around for part two. It's yes. just yeah. so Thank great to guys. have you. It's a pleasure to be here yes. again for part two. Yes, <laughs> for sure. It's awesome. Well, thanks guys for joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. What a great part two interview. It really was. It was awesome. What a special co-host. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm telling you, Christy has the most fascinating life. Like she, when we first started dating, she started telling me all these stories of things and endeavors and adventures. And I'm going, are you making this up? Like, I thought she was <laughs> trying to impress me. I'm like, there's no, at the time, what she was maybe uh, 32 when we met or something like that. Maybe 31. I don't, I don't remember how old she was exactly. But I'm like, there's no 31-year-old. Who has experienced but do you know why she has all these stories? Is because she's embraced the spontaneity <laughs> that lives within. Here we go. Back to the spontaneity. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Coach. I will begin to embrace this. Okay. Um, I'm planning more spontaneity for my life here pretty soon. The first step is just admitting <laughs> that you need more. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Hey, we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music for this. Make sure you go and download everything he has because literally everything he has out there on iTunes, Spotify, all of it's so good, so good. It will just like soothe your soul. Um, so thank you, Ryan, for providing this. And yeah, and we're going to give you a little sneak peek of next week's episode with Emily Freeman. You are not going to want to miss out on everything she's got to share with us. Yeah, she has this podcast and book called The Next Right Thing. And so I'm going to tell you right now, your next right thing is to listen to the sneak peek and then listen to next week's episode.
And my next right thing is to get some dinner. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Listen to this. When we think about these decisions, and I talk about soulful decision-making, but really what that is beneath that is that there is actually a deeper part of us than our our intuition and our heart uh, and our uh, head. And that is that there is a spiritual level of us that is mm. even deeper. It goes even deeper than my the way my heart would lead. And that's where my life is united with Christ's mm. life and his head and his heart and his intuition. And so that is our saving, literal saving grace wow. is because it's not dependent upon me honing in my my heart skills or my head knowledge or anything like that. It's all in in the redemptive process of the kingdom of God, of how he is not making new things, he's making all things new, including me. 